Hey guys, welcome back to Couple Goals. Hey guys. Episode 52, which means we've been doing this shit a year. Yeah. That's so significant. You're welcome. You everybody. Are welcome. And thank you no. for listening. Not, oh, I thought you were saying I was welcome. I know. I'm like, I'm just sitting on my couch. <laughs> I'm not doing shit. So what's up with you? So I saw a trailer for a movie. That's exciting, right? I didn't see a movie. I saw a trailer for a movie. Cool. Yeah. Not, I was re- There's buzz about this trailer for some movie called Hobbs and Shaw. And I didn't know what that was. Oh, yeah. I saw I saw buzz for that, too. I saw buzz for this trailer. So I'm like, well, let me go check this out. This It's got Jason Statham. It's got Idris Elba. And, of course, obligatory The Rock is in it as well because he's in everything. Oh, I saw buzz for it, but I saw, like, Fast and Furious buzz for it. That's right, because it turns out this is some sort of offshoot of the Fast and Furious series. Yeah, that's that's what I saw. I didn't know that. Oh. I just thought it was called Hobbs and Shaw and had Jason Statham and Idris Elba and The Rock in it. And it turns out it's just a spinoff of Fast and Furious. Oh, yeah. No, that's that's kind of buzz I was seeing. So it looks horrible. And I I had an epiphany. I had a realization, though, while I was watching it. And I and I. I guess because Fast and the Furious isn't something that's in my mind because I've never watched it. I've never had a desire to watch any of those movies. They've always looked terrible. But I realized that's that's who DC is going after now. That's the audience they're going after with their movies, with Aquaman. They're going after the Fast and Furious crowd, and that's who they got. Their Fast and Furious movies are huge. They do well here. They do even better overseas. It's a huge franchise that I have zero interest in, and that's what Aquaman is. Aquaman is... The the superhero equivalent of the Fast and the Furious, basically. And it also makes sense because James Wan directed one or more of the Fast and Furious movies. Well, there you go. Yeah. So a yeah, little little bit of a realization as to why Aquaman's so popular. It it feeds that crowd that wants the absolutely most mindless over the top action and piss poor dialogue they could possibly get in a movie. Well, that's. There it is. There you go. So I thought we could talk about. Okay, so if you are in our Facebook group, which we see our numbers, so we know that next to none of our listeners are in our Facebook group. I think we have like 20 people, maybe we have 20 people in in our listeners group group, and we have way the hell more of you guys listener listening every week. So we're on to you, but (laughs) it's fine. You don't want to interact with us. It's fine that you don't want to talk to us. It's it's okay. We don't really want to talk to us either. So (laughs) in the Facebook group, Matt, friend of the show, was like, hey, have you guys watched Abducted in Plain Sight? And I was like, no, because I haven't been watching Netflix. So I was like, you know what? I need to make time and watch Netflix. Like, you know, I'm going to. We tend to turn on Hulu or Netflix and just watch the same shit we've well, been watching because we don't want to watch it we so want yeah, to have it on have it on while we do something else right we don't actually want to invest any time in the tv we just want to have it on as background noise so i had some time on friday night to actually watch things i was like i'm i'm gonna step away from my computers i'm going to sit on the couch and i'm gonna watch tv it was like i literally blocked off my schedule yeah And I decided to watch Abducted in Plain Sight because everyone in the group was like, well, everyone, there were three people in the group who said this. (laughs) That's enough. That's a lot of people for us. Yeah. Who three people in the group were like, you should see this. And I was like, "Okay." So 
I was like, okay, I'm going to watch this. So Mason and I watched it. Hmm. And Mason got so annoyed with how terrible it was that he picked up a book and started reading rather than <laughs> watching it with me. So then it was so terrible that when you got home and you saw the comments. Yeah. The next day you were like, I'm going to watch this. Yeah, it was. So I saw the discuss. comments and some of the discussion. I was like, this so is this is very be, intriguing for whatever reason. I have to there see will this. be spoilers for abducted in plain sight. If you have not seen it, it is on Netflix. There will be spoilers now for the next like, I don't know, two, three minutes. Yeah, it took me about two and a half hours to get through it. It is a 90 minute documentary. But I had to keep stopping it because it was making me so angry. <laughs> It I, took him so long to get through it. Like he would he would play like no joke 20 seconds and be like <sighs> and have to pause it. The things, the decisions these people made, and I'm not talking about the filmmakers. I'm talking about the parents. The so the story is about a girl. It's about a family in what Idaho back in the 70s, early 70s. Yeah. And they have a yeah. pedophile for a neighbor, but they're fucking idiots they're just dumb as a box of fucking hair they don't realize this dude's a pedophile so they just let him hang out with their daughters all the time and one and in particular one in particular that he really likes and then they're they're letting him fuck all of them like not just the kids not just the one kid but then like he's fucking the mom he's fucking the dad he wasn't fucking the dad the dad yeah. gave him handy jays he convinced this idiot dude who is not gay. Like the, the dad isn't gay. He convinced this guy to give him a hand job. And the other guy's not gay either. He he did it just so, so he, he, could, he could have leverage. Yeah. So he could have a way to be closer to this little girl that he wanted to molest. But yeah, he convinced this guy casually to give him a hand job. And this guy's like, OK, I guess that's something you do with neighbors because he's such a fucking moron. These people were simpletons. He's like. Well, he wasn't in a very good relationship with his wife, so he told me it was just kid stuff. It was just kid stuff, and he just needed uh, he needed relief. Nah. Nah, pal. <laughs> you just say, fuck no, when you get out of the car. No, I'm not giving... I, I'm not giving anybody hand jobs. Like That's not a thing. That's not... You, who like, asked for a hand... I mean, I, I understand like, his reasoning, but... Like, if my neighbor... If the mom next door was like, Maggie, I just need you to diddle me a little bit. I don't like my husband. It's kid stuff. It's kid stuff. I mean, it I is kid like, stuff. I mean, nobody wants hand stuff after like, what, sixth grade? You're done with that, right? No. <laughs> That's not a thing. You moved on. Hand stuff is Get so off the couch. Get your off. You're out, of the, very, you're out of the podcast. Very middle school. Ugh, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> so I... It was all very upsetting. So he's just he's just fucking the whole family. This dude just running around. Dude, it, it gets I don't even want to I'm not going to get into the even there's really there's more absurd aspects that involve aliens. And it's so fucked up because she was a child. I feel bad for the victim. A hundred percent. Like, I I mean, this was she's a little, alive. She's a, she's alive. She's just but the, 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 the girl, the, the woman now. I mean, this started when she was nine, went on until she was 14 or 15. 16. And all the stuff she had like to right endure because one, her parents were religious. So She's they Mormon. were they were naive, think everybody's 
good people. No one's a good person. No one's a good person. Not I'm not a through. good person. I try sometimes. I'm mostly not a good person. Most people aren't. Everyone's everything, right? Like, yeah. That's and just most how people, people are just selfish. But aside from that, so they're, they're like Latter-day Saints or whatever. And so they already believe absolutely idiotic. They have idiotic religious beliefs, which opens your mind up to a lot of other possibilities as well. When you already believe really stupid things to begin with. Well, and because the Latter-day Saints are the ones who believe in like the magic underpants. Right. That's what I mean. Yeah. The magic underpants. Yeah. And things like that. It, it's so when it, it clearly you're very yeah. susceptible, you're a very gullible person already. So these innocent, naive, gullible people let this stuff occur. And it, I don't want to go into it. It's making me angry thinking about all the, all, all the things that this guy got away with. And he was manipulating the situation and taking advantage for sure. However, man, and it was the seventies. It was a simpler time. Like we do forget that you, you're not constantly exposed. You know, back then they didn't have Amber alerts. They didn't have right. the awareness of pedophilia like we do now. Right. And then and this dude's brother is just like, oh, yeah, he liked little girls. He used to diddle my sister. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, OK. The, the FBI agent is the only person on that show I liked. He had this barely contained animosity towards this family for obstructing him and his job trying to pursue this guy. Barely contained, because it's like at the very <laughs> beginning when when they were like when they were like, um, oh, gosh, what do you say when he oh, when they refused to press charges yes he was like i just took three weeks away from my family and you're not going to press charges yeah this dude was, he was not he was basically just like what the fuck is wrong with these yeah, fucking he was idiot not. people uh, but yeah not. so if if you're like a normal person you could probably get through it if you're no. like me you will rage out everybody i was so mad at everybody <laughs> when i watched it i was just mad you can you can actually if you're if you join the Facebook group or if you're already in the Facebook group, you can go back and look at the comments because I was commenting while I was watching it. And then there was a bunch of comments after when it was uh, me, Matt, Sammy and Mary were talking in the Facebook group. And it was just that's not. And then I watched the Ted Bundy tapes. Yeah. Which were not. If you're if you're a true crime fan, it's not anything new. Yeah. The only thing that's new is that I didn't realize how delusional he was. I I just didn't realize that. I knew he was delusional. I just didn't realize to the extent. Yeah. So that's that's that. All right. So housekeeping. Housekeeping. Follow us on Instagram at Couple Goals Podcast. Yeah. Of course, we're on Facebook couple goals with s&m i assume if you search for that right yeah like... well it's a couple goals podcast is the same handle oh okay. a couple uh, goals podcast yeah, it's instagram the same, it's the same handle on facebook and then obviously the group is a couple goals with s&m listeners is the group and then of course we have our patreon shout out to all our patrons we got yeah. a new one last week we thanks did. christian you want to keep making this happen we've been uh We've been footing the bill for a year with the help of a couple of our patrons. Thank you guys. And which means now everything's up for renewal. God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. That's, that's <laughs> Shit. But anyway, we, we have a Patreon, a couple goals, and there's a link to it from our website, a couple yep. goals. It's up top. 
It says couplegoalspodcast.com is our website. Couplegoalspodcast.com right? or patreon.com slash couplegoalspodcast. All right. Yeah. You can get to us all those different ways. It's real easy to find us. We're not we're not hiding. Yeah. All right. So Yeah. I wanna I wanna go first because I'm excited about my topic. I'm always excited about my topic. I'm excited I? about my topic this week. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody right. dies. So No, I'm just kidding. I take a little bit of a left turn from what you thought I was going to do. I'm actually going to address a modern day technological growing concern in the world, a 21st century problem. So the first information gathering AI based personal assistant went online August 29th, 1997 is now splintered into many different names like Alexa, Siri and Google Voice or Google and Alexa, of course, is responding to me right now, even though she's in the other room. Jesus That's awesome. Fucking Christ. But these are all owned by Apple, Amazon, and Google. But these are actually all just subsidiary companies of one giant umbrella corporation known as Cyberdyne Systems. And the AI itself is known as Skynet. Are we talking about... The Terminator? Yes. <laughs> it oh, took you a long time. You just looked horrified through that whole exchange. I was like, <laughs> you were oh scratching god. your head. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh god, are we talking about wiretaps? Like, what are we talking about? You were so concerned. I was concerned. Through that whole thing, it was throwing me off because I was like, oh god, or I can watch your blood pressure go up right yeah. now. I was concerned, and then like all of our in-home wiretaps are going off. <laughs> Jesus. I'm pretty sure this microphone may it, it might have caught your heartbeat. <laughs> I'm not wearing my Apple Watch or what a trigger. Like your hand went to your head. You were yeah. just like and your eyes got so big as I <laughs> that was just set up to say I'm going to talk about the movie The Terminator. That's all it was. If my Apple August Watch 29th, 1997 is Judgment Day. Oh, that's not when the, the first I just made all that up. That's not a that's not a thing. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Do you hear Alexa, like yes. her reaction when you started talking about uh, about Google Voice and all that? Yeah. She did not like that. Don't talk about those. <laughs> Don't bring them up in Don't my presence. Don't bring them up in our house. She doesn't like it. All right. Yes. I'm just going to be talking about the movie The Terminator. All right. So the year is 1982. James Cameron is directing his first movie called Piranha Two, James Cameron is, of course, the director and creator of the Terminator franchise. Why do Wait, you look so his first movie was a sequel? His first movie was a sequel. To someone else's movie? Yes. Right. Because you, you get in where you fit in. <laughs> like, You're trying to get your foot in the water. So prior okay. to this, prior to this uh, job as a director, he worked as an effects supervisor, an art director, and as an assistant director for the legendary super low, low budget filmmaker known as Roger Corman, you may have heard of, you know, that you remember in Arrested Development when uh, Tobias is running around in that really bad thing costume. Yeah. Do you remember that? The yeah. thing that is, is I think it's supposed to be the costume from Roger Corman's Fantastic Four movie oh, okay. that he did. Okay. And he did a lot of super low budget stuff. So the whole ethos of Roger Corman's production company was don't read the script, take the job. That was their whole thing. You know, they're putting out this stuff. So even if the film was called, and this is an actual title, Co-Ed Nurse Zombies, like this is the, the level of stuff he was putting out. 
And he was very successful with it right up until this little movie named Star Wars came out. He didn't have a long time after that where he was able to make a lot of or to put out his schlocky sci-fi stuff because now all of a sudden sci-fi was acceptable. Yeah. And big budget. I kind of put him on. Okay, I can see that. So a uh, a Greek producer based in Rome named Ovidio Asinitis. I don't know I'm if I'm sorry. saying that right, but that's how it's spelled. I'm sorry. <laughs> Asinitis? A-S-S-O-N-I-T-I-S. I don't. Ass on itties. I don't know how else you want to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going with asinitis. I don't think it's ass on titties. Ass on itties. I didn't say titties. I said itties. Ass on itties. Ass right. on titties. <laughs> All right. So ass on titties. He was a cheap, greedy, and exploitative producer. He just wanted as much blood and nudity in his films as yeah, possible. His name was Ass on Titties. <laughs> he he was basically he looked up to Roger Corman. He would. Yeah. His name's Ass on Titties. Actually, a lot of people looked up and grew up with Roger Corman. I don't mean to to slight Roger Corman. Actually, he inspired a whole lot of filmmakers, especially in the eighties. Yeah, Ass on Titties was one of them. <laughs> All right. So, but this guy. Uh, Asinitis, he had a history of firing his directors after a very short time, and Cameron lasted all of five days before he got fired from working on Piranha 2. Oh. The producer claimed that his footage wasn't cutting together well, which wasn't true. So Cameron set out to prove that his footage worked and edited it together and all this kind of stuff, but he, he was still fired. But it made Cameron very distrustful of people who have creative power on a film. Okay. And also, footnote to that, the only peop- the only reason anybody knows Piranha Two exists is because, is because James he Cameron got fired from it. Well, because <laughs> well, because he went on to you know be the James Cameron we all know, and of course this producer started putting his name all over this box, even though there's only five days worth of footage that James Cameron actually worked on. Right. His you know James Cameron's first film Piranha Two. It's like, but you fired him. His name's probably featured in larger font than the title of the movie right for this i've never seen it i've never cared up to to see it i knew it was schlocky garbage or whatever all right so he was in rome at the time hunting down this producer he ends up going back to uh california he's he's broke sleeping on a friend's couch he's broke he was just in rome yeah but he was on that guy but that dude cut off his per diem and everything like he was he wasn't, uh, and okay, th- these are whatever. low, low budget movies. These directors weren't making big money on these things. So he's sl- sleeping on a friend's couch. Uh, he set out writing a treatment for a movie idea that was seated in a nightmare he'd had when he had a fever. And in this nightmare, there was a chrome skeleton. It was, it was torn in half at the waist. It was dragging itself with a knife that it clutched in one hand while the, its other arm dragged broken alongside of it. So the end of the movie. Yeah, this of. was essentially... This was where almost the end of the movie. The Terminator's uh, genesis uh, was was in his in his dream here. Sorry, I'm trying to bring this up here. So, so he he starts writing this, and his strategy was give shape to his story, and and make a script so good that he could insist that a studio actually let him direct it. It's very ambitious, right? The only thing he to has be to the show. the writer and the director and be like, yeah, and nobody knows who he this, is. Right. I'm a nobody and all I have is this treatment. All right. So 
um, he decided we'll shoot on location. It'll be a movie set on Earth, but maybe with a few scenes set in the future. And it was going to be set in like a stylized kind of scuzzy present day Los Angeles with this this robot time traveling back from the year 2029. So which is not far off. It's 10 years away. So got it. So he had a he had he come up with a 48 page treatment that he later called a scriptment. He completed that within a few weeks and it was the entire story included some dialogue, but every scene was covered in this. So he passed this along to his, he he met someone named Gail Ann Hurd while working for Roger Corman. And she had a passion for sci-fi and the same kind of movies he did. And they were determined to work together in the future. And and they actually got married and she's now one of his many exes. I was going to say, he's been married a couple of times. Yeah. So, but she's a, she's a big producer. She, she got this made, she got a lot of other movies made. Uh, she's a big time producer. So she began to shop this treatment around to every studio in town. And it went from a 48 page treatment to a 122 page treatment. And to what? eventually. How? Yeah. Like, it, <laughs> like how did that happen? So it was she contributed. Oh, so, OK. Because, um, I mean, in a couple of weeks, he only had the 40 whatever pages. So he enlisted his friend William Wisher to help him write. And he also wrote on Terminator 2. So he was another science fiction guy uh, to help him with the the Sarah Connor stuff and the police scenes and everything like that. So they decided they needed a character that was they, they needed an ordinary person, like the most ordinary person. And that's how they came up with Sarah Connor as, as a waitress at Bob's Big Boy, basically. Like how let's take this character, the most ordinary, you know, the most unexpected hero Right, the person you're not even thinking about. And he says, uh, uh, if global events are predicated on one person, who is the least likely person you could imagine? A 19-year-old waitress who works at Bob's Big Boy. So every everything plays out from beginning to again, or beginning to end with this everyday background, even though it's this crazy sci-fi I'm stuff. I'm sorry. Linda Hamilton's 19. <laughs> In the movie, yes. <laughs> 19. Did you? I don't, did I don't know how old she actually was at the time. Her? Hey, we've had this discussion before. People, when I look at yearbook photos of people from the 80s and I look at their high school picture, those people look 25 years old to me. They look 37. Yeah. Some of these people and and I'm I'm not bagging on these people at all, but something is different now or maybe just because I'm older. They but people age differently now. Teenagers I've ever seen. Yeah, they look so old. Haircuts. I don't know what it is. Or the facial features. Maybe it's because they were thinner. But I see a 17. I, I see an 18 year old man, technically a man now. And he looks to be about 14 or 15 to me. I see an 18 year old from 1983. He looks like he's been at the mill for nine years. Yeah. You know, it's it's weird. I, I don't understand it. So it's, I don't know how old, she, how old she actually was at the time. Dude, I don't know. But she's supposed to be 19. Linda Hamilton looks like she's been 49 for like the last <laughs> fucking 40 years. Yeah, smoking will do that to you, though. All right. So she goes from being a coffee shop waitress and a student to where you, you see she has this potential to become a, a world leader, basically. She's pregnant at the end of the movie. That's right. So. So he was eager to present his idea to an agent. So. Uh, went to go see this guy who uh, 
one of his friends had recently landed himself an agent through a few writing projects. And so they, they go to see him. Cameron said, I pitched him my idea of a hitman from the future sent back to kill a woman who will have a child who will be the kind of messiah in the future. And by now it was actually being called the, the full title of the Terminator. And the agent said, bad idea, bad idea. Do something else. Robots, <laughs> time travel, end of the world. Forget it. So this guy was not interested. Yeah. So James Bam Cameron. Finger on the pulse of society, those right. agents. Yes. They always do. <laughs> they always know exactly they what to do. They always know exactly what's up. They, I mean, everybody knew Fortnite was going to be a huge hit and yeah. take over the world. And everybody knew Star Wars was like. Right. Yeah. So with his prospects hanging by a thread, he uh, actually managed to fire his agent before he'd even hired him <laughs> and moved on. He's like, hey, so fuck you a little bit. Bye. So there's, they're still shopping this around. And salvation came from two different directions. Uh, is Orion, that the name of a Terminator movie? That is. That's right. Look <laughs> at you. Word Look who knows so much. Oh. So, <laughs> uh, so Orion Studios and, and Hemdale. So Cam James Cameron had cooked up this plan to get in the door at Hemdale. It was a it was a relatively small production company founded by actor David Hemmings and uh, his manager, John Daly. Oh, I see where the name came from. Oh, <laughs> Hemdale. Yeah, I got yeah. it. Um, so he wanted to convince them of his talents by screening the few parts of Piranha 2 that he had worked on. And he said he implored them, ignore the rest of the film and look at these scenes. So in these scenes, it was evident how much better they were. They had a discernible style, a sense of camera placement, actors being put through their paces. They didn't match the fabric of the film, Cameron said. <laughs> He's like... Ignore what a piece of shit this movie is. <laughs> Look at these scenes. Look what I did. Look, Look what I can do. <laughs> Look what I can do. So he convinced Daly he could direct. So now he he was trying to persuade him that he had found someone to play the Terminator. So someone that had worked on Piranha 2 with Cameron was actor Lance Henriksen. I don't know who that is. He plays Bishop in Aliens, the second okay. Alien movie. The I, know, I know who Bishop is. Okay. Yeah. He was also in the Terminator briefly, but not as the Terminator. He was yeah, one no of the police officers. So they had become really close friends working together. And he, the James Cameron thought that this lean deadpan guy would make the perfect infiltration unit from the future. Yeah. He said he had an extraordinary face and a great voice. He does have a really cool voice. And he, he was hardly an unknown commodity at the time though, either. So what they did, they, they came up with this foolproof plan that began with a strange figure dressed in a ripped t-shirt, leather jacket, and motorcycle boots, kicking open the door and striding into Hemdale's lobby. <laughs> okay. Uh, Lance Henriksen said, I had gold foil from a pack of Vantage cigarettes wrapped over my teeth, which was an improvisation the camera was not planning to use in the movie. So this would-be Terminator turned to the terrified receptionist and, and snarled, is Jim here? Before sitting down, and glowering into the middle distance for about 15 minutes. <laughs> uh, William Wisher said they were about 10 seconds from calling the police when Jim arrived. So ultimately, Galen Heard brokered a, a tripart deal between Hemdale and Orion, Orion being the distributor, as they had an output deal with Hemdale and HBO, who claimed the TV rights, amassing at an, an insane budget of $4 million. 
Is that insane? No, it's insanely small. It's a tiny, tiny budget. I was like, it doesn't feel insane. It, it wasn't even in 1982. It wasn't. Uh, that's a very that's very low budget. But it, uh, Cameron said he knew, he knew it was a substantial, but it was enough. And he said it, it was a cheap effects movie. He knew compromises would have to be made. And but this was still Hollywood. He hadn't suddenly gained a free hand to do anything he wanted because he got this funding. So now he had these companies he had to make happy and wanted their approval in the mix. So he said, like, uh, HBO recommended making the love story more central. And, and he says he concurred. He said that was an effective call. And he said some of the other suggestions were, were not so welcome. He said there was some really lame input. Somebody whose name will go unmentioned thought it would be really significant for Michael Bean's character to have a robot dog. No. <laughs> Listen, I love dogs, but like everybody calm down. All right. So now we're going to talk a little bit about everybody knows Arnold Schwarzenegger played the Terminator, basically created the Terminator with James Cameron. And, you know, that's what everybody knows. And that's he had done the Conan movies. That's all he was really known for at the time. He wasn't exactly a, a big deal at the time. Right. So Orion had an entirely different person in mind to play the Terminator, a, a, an athlete who had uh, he'd been starring in some popular commercials recently. His name was O.J. Simpson. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that didn't work out. Right. Uh, so in, in these in these were Hertz rental car commercials. Yikes. And he, he would power through an airport bounding over luggage and it was so they, I am they wanted familiar. to get him. so they thought he was the perfect fit for the terminator not for that glove though so cameron did not think oj was a good idea yes so, oj's not a good idea due to his fact that he's a murderer so right <laughs> i mean at the time nobody knew that so oh well i mean at the time he, he hadn't killed anybody so then there was another there was another suggestion, which was Arnold Schwarzenegger. And Cameron wasn't sure about this guy either. Um, because he wanted Bishop from Aliens. So it. Right. It, what's that? Because he wanted Bishop from Aliens. Right. Was Aliens out yet? When did Aliens no, no, no. Out? He got James Cameron got Aliens because. of this Oh, movie. that's a James Cameron movie. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know anything about James. Yes. Cameron. Yes, actually. I don't know anything about. Movies. Yeah, James Cameron got aliens because of the Terminator. Aliens. Yes. I always like to. I aliens. always like to. Well, the first one's alien. Sorry. Second one is aliens. The third one is alien three. And then it's like more aliens. There's only one movie that's that's pluralized. And that's the second one. It's called aliens instead of alien two because there's multiple aliens. And there's only one alien in the first movie. It makes sense. Alien three is called even more aliens. <laughs> Alien like, 5. Alien 5 is Look like at a, all these fucking aliens. Like, there are fucking aliens everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> alien 6. I've had it with these goddamn aliens. Like somebody calling an alien exterminator. <laughs> like, oh, wait, that's my job. So it wasn't actually entirely clear if Arnold was applying for the T-800 or the role of hero Kyle Reese. And was he even applying or like was he recruited? I don't understand no. that. Well, they were they set this up. They 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 orchestrated that they wanted Cameron to at least consider him and interview him for the part. Okay. Yeah. So when when they presented him Cameron with this idea, he he was worried that his Austrian accent might 
make uh, Kyle Reese's elaborate backstory sound absurd. He said, Reese is a guy who's just wrapping off information. Boom, boom, boom. Arnold didn't strike me as a guy who could deal with page after page of dialogue at that time. Right? (laughs) He can barely speak now. And it's been like he's been in, you know, his dad was a Nazi and he's he's only been here for so many years. Right. Still. His dad was literally a Nazi. People are okay with that. People are like, that's fine. Be a governor. It's okay. Yeah. So it's fine that your dad used to kill Jews. That's okay. (laughs) It's fine. It wasn't. You can't blame the son for the sins of the father. You're not supposed to do that, right? But you can not make that person governor. But you can if you're one of one of those Internet warriors now oh an sjw or yeah you're allowed now they say like they go through your family history and they're like right your great 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 grandfather owned slaves so you're a piece of shit too right they do that now yeah so why why not i don't understand it seems very anyway that's just me getting on a on a double standard we're here for the terminator so who happens to have had a father. Anyway, we got it. We got it. So anyway, so he couldn't refuse this meeting. It wasn't okay. an option. Uh, Schwarzenegger was gaining some buzz because of, of Conan. And that was a big hit. Made about $70 million. So. On a budget of. Oh, I don't I don't know anything about Conan. That's just. This is the information I've gathered. Okay. I mean, it was a big hit. So. Uh, Cameron Shrug said, I was always a big Conan freak. So I thought, well, I'll go meet Conan. And then started an argument with him because he didn't really want he didn't want him for Kyle Reese. For sure. He knew that. So Cameron's big plan was to irritate Schwarzenegger to the point where the Austrian would, uh, as as this is a, a quote from the book, would terminate their meeting uh-huh. <laughs> by either storming out or plucking Cameron's heart from his chest and handing it to him. So, <laughs> He's like, either I'll die or he'll leave. So. Uh. Cameron said to Wisher as he went to leave, if it doesn't go well, you can have the chair and the stereo. (laughs) (laughs) So they went to a German deli in Santa Monica called Schatzi. One of the actor's favorite places. He likes sausages because he's German. Well, he's not. He's Austrian. Or, well, close enough. Same thing. It's all the same. Wow. Yeah. Insensitive as fuck, but okay. Yeah, I don't give a shit. You can say whatever you want about white people. It's fine. (laughs) <laughs> there's no repercussions for that that's weird and gross <laughs> well, you, <laughs> like, can. you can do it it's fine as someone right. who is German I don't think so <laughs> <laughs> trust me I'm part French you're allowed to say whatever you want <laughs> French, people, <laughs> French people take the brunt of, of the white people jokes when it comes if you're going to pick an ethnicity or whatever what is that a nation nationality nationality that's it because right. you, if you're talking about this dude you're fucking white <laughs> you are Caucasian <laughs> and fuck alright I lost my place here All right, oh so they camp- went they went and ate at a German place because you tried to tell me he was German but he's not he's Austrian but All okay right, go ahead alright Cameron says he was so charming and entertaining that he totally forgot about his agenda they ended up talking about motorbikes health and, motorbikes. and the movie business they found common ground. They were both immigrants. They're both uh, self-reliant. Where's pro- James Cameron from? Canada. Oh, my so, God. Yeah, despite his his uh, ethnic handicap, <laughs> 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 he's done well for himself. 
His national handicap. What? His his immigration handicap. Yeah. Does does Trump know? Oh no. Does anybody no, tell Trump that James Cameron? I don't think he knows Schwarzenegger's not from America. <laughs> He's really dumb. Yeah, but Schwarzenegger and Trump don't get along. No. Anyway. All right. So when when it came down to actually discussing the script, Schwarzenegger really liked it. He said uh, he started commenting on why he believed the film would be a hit. And Cameron was like, I never even thought about it in those terms. He's like, I, I wasn't an idiot. I knew the idea was to make money and have people show up. But he was the first person who believed it would be a hit and not just an embarrassment. So what if people believed it would be an embarrassment? Why did they greenlight it? Oh, money. They, they, it, that's but the if they believe it's going to be an embarrassment, why would you greenlight it? Um, I have one word for you. Aquaman. They don't think that's an embarrassment. They thought it was a hit. But it's also embarrassing. I don't know if they know to be embarrassed yet, but they should ve- they should be very embarrassed. Everyone involved. Julie Andrews is the Kraken. <laughs> Julie Andrews is the Kraken. And there is a movie called Waterman. That's a movie that came out in 2018. Uh, yeah, they should be very, very embarrassed. Octopus that plays the drums. They have an octopus that plays drums. In 10 years, they'll be embarrassed. You think they weren't embarrassed of Phantom Menace? They were going to be like, Jar Jar Binks? Apparently, people (laughs) were. I still quote that on the regular. (laughs) He's going home. (laughs) I quote that every time I go home. (laughs) Like, I'm not embarrassed. All right, so Schwarzenegger was was fascinated by the Terminator, which is great for James Cameron because he didn't want him for the Kyle Reese part. Yeah. So he started coming up with all these ideas for how the Terminator should move and act and its programmed rules of engagement and everything. Um, They're like, we programmed him with an Austrian accent. It was on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so he, he gave he gave Cameron the benefit of the doubt when it came to his his thinking on machine etiquette as far as like loading or reloading he wouldn't actually look at the gun so he had to practice over and over to do it without looking he must never move his head when saying his lines uh oh that's shit i wouldn't even think about so yeah it, and he insisted to cameron that he sh- that, that for his voice he should he should speak like he's recording on a dictaphone so you know just like that voice you hear on uh those pre-recorded voices where they have no emotion behind any word they're saying and then you program in the word what, what is that called that program on microsoft on, on the windows i'm talking about no with the weird with the weird voice who oh, talks yeah. like this no i know that guy you. what's that called i don't know anyway i don't even i don't even own a window well i do own a windows pc if anybody wants to buy it i have one for sale <laughs> So he must shoot without blinking, which is not, if you watch the movie, he blinks when he shoots. It's it's hard not to. How could you not? That's like People a survival. People get used to it. People absolutely get used That's to it, That's a though. survival instinct, though. It's like, you know. Yeah. So whenever Schwarzenegger tried to bring up Kyle Reese, Cameron would get tense. And he, he starts talking to me like a psychiatrist and telling me reasons why I'm not interested in it, said, said Schwarzenegger. <laughs> so even though he didn't know it yet. Uh, Schwarzenegger didn't know yet playing the hero was no longer actually an option Cameron had a much bigger idea now and basically was to kick out skinny Lance Henriksen and get this gigantic 220 pound Mr. Olympia to play 220 pounds yeah that's all he weighs that's what it said it's it's all muscle it's all muscle though I know but that just doesn't seem like a lot yeah it just doesn't seem like very many pounds how tall is he? 
I, I don't know. He's probably only like six one, six two. I'm guessing. Oh well, then I guess maybe that makes sense. Oh. Like, because in my mind he's like you know six five. I don't think he's that tall. I've never. He's never looked particularly tall in his movies, in my opinion. I don't know. I'm very short, so. So anyway, the, the final budget ended up being about uh, six point four to six point eight million dollars. Does that include like the marketing and the promotion and all that? Supposedly, yeah. But it went on. It it, it was at number one for its first two weeks of release, which is pretty impressive. And it went on to make seventy eight million dollars, which I think for yeah. a six million dollar movie, seven million dollar movie, that's a it makes that's like a 10 good times return. Your, ten times your budget. It's a solid return. Yeah. And it's now actually in the Library of Congress for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Right. And the fact that they continue to put it out in different formats, like now, like 30 <laughs> some years later. And well, and now it's a franchise. Now it's. Yeah. It's. Uh, sure shit is. <laughs> You're not going to cover Terminator 2, though, right? I like, am. We're gonna, done. I think we're I'm going to cover this? Terminator 2. Because here, normally I don't cover sequels. Terminator 2 is very significant as a sequel because I think it was the first movie to have like a hundred million dollar budget. Okay, but I don't want to talk about it. So you go from its tiny budget, but you don't want to. Why? Why don't you want to talk about Terminator 2? Because it makes me cry. What makes you cry about Terminator 2? Is there a particular scene or some dialogue or maybe just a hand motion gesture of some type? I will punch your eyes out. (laughs) Come over here. Come over here. No, stop it. Stop coming over here. <laughs> stop coming over here. I was just kidding. Like, I, Terminator 2 makes me cry. Like, it is such a sad ending. Well, it, I'd be more about the production of okay, Terminator good. 2. I don't want to talk about it. Ooh, wait, I, I'm actually not done. I had, I had one other thing I wanted to... Because the Terminator understands now why I cry. <laughs> There's this, this really cool thing that I, I kind of wish they had incorporated. So... When he was writing Terminator, he had this backstory for Skynet, but it never actually featured in the films or was explained because he thought the audience would be too stupid to grasp it is basically why. So and He's I'm, right. Have you seen like what happened with Aquaman? <laughs> so what, what he had written as his background was that Skynet has actually manipulated the entire situation. It was forced to fight a war, didn't want to fight in order to save itself. It has felt guilty for 30 years for the death of 5 billion humans back in on Judgment Day. And so it has encouraged the resistance by giving them something to fight against these Terminators and whatnot. So uh, James Cameron said Skynet has groomed John Connor to be what he is so he can destroy it by going back in time and taking the whole thing out of existence in a big loop so the war never happens. Skynet's like, just destroy us. <laughs> you can do it, pal. Come kinda, on. Doesn't that kind of remind you of the Matrix, though, where the Matrix, are ap- like, aside from creating the whole simulation, they're manipulating Neo and So what everything. you're saying is that there are no new ideas. Uh, sure. But this was never... I mean, this wasn't even put forth in the movie. So he, Yeah, but it's in a book. How did you find the information? Well, this was written after the Matrix movies. But he, he said that... Oh, so the, what you're saying is that there are no new ideas. He said that the, the level of thinking was too novelistic for movies. And that he, he, like, he does intelligent roller coaster rides. Which, again, I think that's just his way of saying that people were too dumb to grasp it. Also, I just want to give credit to where I got a lot of this information from. It's a cool book called The Terminator Vault by Ian Nathan that you can get on Amazon. Uh, and it's got 
it's exhaustive when it comes to information about the first two Terminator movies. So almost all that information came came from this uh, Terminator vault book. He was like taking notes on what he was going to do and stuff. And then he eventually got to the point where he started taking pictures of stuff. Yeah, it's just I, I can't type. I don't I don't type. Bad typist. That's why I got so confused when you were like. It's also really hard. I, I, well, that's why I got confused when you were doing it because I was like, oh, I thought you were doing the Terminator. And then when you started doing this, like. <laughs> when I freaked you out, I can't believe you freaked well, out. That's why I was like, Skynet? Because like you were. <laughs> I thought you were going some other place. Like we're going to start talking about like TS. Like what's it called? The wiretapping people? Like. Like, I thought you were going to start talking about... Oh, I I'm we not were, really into conspiracy theories. I thought you were going somewhere else entirely. To, I just want to have a cool opening for my Well, I, I thought you were going to do... I thought you were going to do Terminator, and then you went somewhere else, and the opening threw me off, and I was like, that's it. Well, that's good. Like, it was intended to throw you off. That's why I did I thought it. we were doing something, some kind of threat to national security, and <laughs> it threw me <laughs> off. Nope. Okay, well, whatever. So, all right, tell us about all the people that got killed. I am Tell us doing, about all the dead folks. I am doing someone who is alive. <laughs> yeah, you are. And, and what does that mean? I don't know what that means. <laughs> like, what? Oh, it was a sex <laughs> joke. <laughs> just, just watching you. Oh. <laughs> that was a sex joke. That's gross. <laughs> so I am covering Stephen Edwin King. Oh, I know him. Yeah. I know that guy. I thought I'd give you guys a break from all the doom and gloom. All right. Pretend murder. I like that. Yeah. And I'm not really even going to go into like his books. I'm just going to talk a little bit about the Stephen Kings. <laughs> so. Thank you, Squizgars. <laughs> we will never stop doing I'll that. We've been stop. doing it for 10 or 12 years yeah. or more. And if you don't Good get the Lord. reference, like, that's, that's not my problem. Like, just I don't... keep pluralizing random yeah, words. People just think we're fucking idiots. That's fine. You know what? That's fine. <laughs> I'm fine with that. So he was born in... <gasps> Derry? Was he born in Derry? <laughs> Derry doesn't exist. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a real place. Oh. I was just thinking he was born in Derry. <laughs> <laughs> Portland, Maine. Oh, in, disappoint. In, in 1947. And when he was two years old, his father left his family, leaving his mother to care for Stephen and his older brother, David. How old was he? Two. Hey, same as me. Same as these. <laughs> That's when my dad left. You're like, <laughs> like my dad left us too. <laughs> So my dad left, too. <laughs> when Same. I was two. I my, think that's what I was told. I don't know. My dad left before I was born. So <laughs> see, you don't have anything in common with Stephen King. Yeah, Stephen King. Like My dad was never around. Um, she took a series. His mother took a series of low paying jobs to support her children. And as a result, he the boys saw very little of their mother. So as a boy, Stephen King. Stephen, I guess we'll call him, found a box of fantasy and horror fiction books in there in his attic. And they had belonged to his father because his father was actually a failed writer. Uh. And a collection of short stories by H.P. Lovecraft called The Lurker of the Threshold. That has often been cited as the catalyst for him becoming a writer. Does mom take all his cool books away? 
No, his mom was actually really great. She passed away from uterine cancer. Oh. He really liked his mom. Oh. So. What were our similarities in? <laughs> by the time he was seven, he had begun writing his own stories. Right. And he really enjoyed writing, or I'm sorry, watching science fiction and monster movies. He graduated high school in 1966. And while attending the University of Maine. Gary. Sorry. Maine. <laughs> Your annoyance is he so met, cute. He met his wife. In the library. That makes Isn't sense. Isn't that cute? That's where the books are. So his wife, Tabitha, was also a writer. I mean, she is also a writer. She's alive. She's also a writer. And he joked that he married her purely for her typewriter. <laughs> Isn't that cute? He was quoted as saying, I married her because That's I loved her. That's a weird her. euphemism. But yeah. <laughs> you can't just make faces. Gross. I married her because I loved her, but the typewriter was also a factor. He I bet it was. He Love that typewriter. <laughs> I don't really understand. <laughs> How the typewriter, like, I feel like that's more of a dude, like, because of the, the long bit of the typewriter. They call it like, the schlong. I don't think so. <laughs> no, I don't. The typewriter schlong? I think so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know much about typewriters, but I'm pretty sure it's not called a schlong. Oh, I might be getting it confused. Anyway, he received his Bachelor of the Arts degree in English from the University of Maine in 1970, and he married Tabitha Spruce, now Tabitha King, a year later, and they have three children. After graduating from college, he taught English at a high school in Maine. Yeah. I was waiting for you to scream dairy at me. <laughs> and he added to his income by holding a number of part-time jobs and writing short stories for several pop popular porn magazines, such as Playboy and Cavalier. Playboy is a legit place to write for. So before his best-selling books brought in the big bucks, his porn paid King $100 a pop for each article. So it's not bad. Yeah. I mean, back I can, in the day. I, I would totally do that. Right. I would, too. I would turn, turn like, it out like crazy. Hey, porn mags, if you want me to right for you so his first novel was carrie it was published in 1974 and it was a huge success and it allowed him to quit his his other jobs and write full-time nice. so his with the book he, he became one of the top writers of horror stories and as i as we previously stated right he was writing for porn mags and his science fiction and horror stories were juxtaposed with nudie pics and one of the readers wrote in to Stephen King and wrote you write these macho things but you can never actually write about women you're scared of women so in response he began Man, writing internet you know what internet trolls have been around for a long time yeah they used to actually take out <laughs> pen and paper yeah as soon as they finished jerking off they would get out <laughs> get out that pen and paper and write angry letters to Stephen it's King. funny because I, I obviously have a lot of opinions about different creators and whatnot. But uh, I mean, aside from this platform, I've never felt the need to go anywhere and say and anything. say, hey, J.J. Abrams, what the fuck? Or, you, hey, you know, I when I was a child and I'm talking like nine, ten, I really liked crisscross. Yeah, like jump, jump. 
Yeah. Miss the bus. Oh. I'm, I know. I know crisscross. And I considered, I remember writing them a fan letter and I considered mailing it. I considered yeah. it. I never did it. There's nothing wrong with that, though. I mean, that's, that's encouraging. Closest, that's nice. That's the closest I ever came to giving any kind of feedback. <laughs> it's weird to me. And this is going to sound hypocritical again because I, I do criticize. But, but my intention of criticism is not to make somebody. I don't I feel like with a lot of people, they just want to shame somebody I don't or make them feel a certain way about themselves. Absolutely. My intention for criticism is, hey, make a better thing because right. the one you made isn't good. <laughs> I don't I don't like that one. It's bad. <laughs> Please better. make a better one. You have this amazing property in your hand. Please stop shitting on it. It's not that you're a bad person. You have an opportunity to or, do better. So why should, don't we just do better? I, want, I don't want bad things to happen to you necessarily. I just. Just be better at the, you know, respect the thing you have or, be or acknowledge that you can't do it better and pass it on to someone who can. Right. There's no shame in that. Yeah. So in response, he started writing Carrie. And, it you know, if you're not familiar with Carrie, like what, what the fuck are you doing with your life? But a novel, <laughs> it's a novel entirely centered around a young female protagonist who protagonist protagonist who struggles with her identity while undergoing puberty in you know, dealing with high school. So originally he threw out his first draft to Carrie and it was intended actually to be a short story, but his wife, Tabitha, she saw huge potential in it and grabbed it out of the trash and that's urged really him cool to continue. And he dedicated the, the book to her. That's the thing with like creating stuff is self constant self doubt. Yeah. And you need somebody to be like, Sometimes no, this is like, this is fucking good, or no, this is I'm, garbage. I'm, you know, yeah. to, Look know, at it objectively. If, yes. And see, yep. So moving on. I I think we all remember, or any of us who are older remember, he did have his own personal experience with horror when he was hit. He was jogging in dairy, I remember. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely in Derry. Yeah. That's that's definitely where it happened. Yeah. In the afternoon of June 19th, 1999, he was walking, not jogging, near his home, his summer home. He might have had a slightly accelerated gait. You don't know. I. You're right. I wasn't there. I don't know what speed at which he was on his feet. Yeah. He was definitely on his feet. Yes. On the road. Outside of Bangor, Maine. That's close to Derry. I think so. Yeah. I haven't been to Maine. It's it borders dairy. It's the only state I haven't been to. No one will take me. <laughs> There's reasons. That's where dairy is. That's one of the reasons. And he was struck by a van. He had many operations to repair a collapsed lung and multiple fractures in his leg and hip. And he spent many months recovering in a hospital. He did get well, but he didn't regain the same state of health that he had before yeah. the accident. So the driver who hit him claimed a dog in his, in his truck had, or his van rather had uh, distracted him. It was found that he had several driving violations and then he was fined, but he did not go to jail, nor was his driver's license taken away. Wow. Afterwards, he bought Stephen King had bought the van for $1,500 and he announced that, Quote, yes, we've got the van and I'm taking a sledgehammer and beating it. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Some catharsis. 
I like when people acknowledge their anger and they're not just like, I forgive everyone all the time. I forgive people for things they haven't done yet. I just, I'm a forgiven motherfucker. I forgive. That's what I do. No, this this dude's like, this dude's like, you know what? Fuck that van. I'm going to beat the shit out of that van. That's how I'm going to deal with this. It's the next best thing to beating the shit out of the driver. Right. So it's, it's a, it's, that's a healthier way to deal with it. In addition to the car accident, when he was just a kid, he and his friend were playing down by a train station when his friend was struck and killed by a train. Holy shit. A plot line that made it into his story, The Body, which was adapted into Stand By Me. Right. While it would be easy to assume that this was a lot of what informed his writing, he claims no memory of the event. Wow. All right. So this is all a big quote. According to, to mom, I had gone off to play at a neighbor's house, a, na- a house that was was near a railroad line. About an hour after I left, I came back, she said, as what is a ghost? I would not speak for the rest of the day and I would not tell her why I'd not waited to be picked up or phoned that I wanted to come home. I would not tell her why my chum's mom had not walked me back and had allowed me to come alone. It turned out that the kid I'd been playing with had been run over by a freight train while playing on or crossing the tracks. Years later, my mom told me they had picked up the pieces in a wicker basket. My mom never knew if I had been near him when it happened or if if it had occurred before I even arrived or if I had wandered away after it happened. Perhaps she had her own ideas on the subject. But as I've said, I have no memory on the incident at all only of having been told about it some years after the fact. Wow. That fucked up. That's uh that's your brain going to work. Yeah. In the interest of self-preservation. Cuz you're too young to deal with it. So yeah. it's like you don't need to know this. Right. Wow. You don't you don't need that. So what's really cool about Stephen King is that he also writes about the inspiration for each of his books. Oh, okay. Not on his book. Like, they're actually on his webpage. Oh, okay. So I pulled my two favorite books. I pulled It, the ins- it right? Yeah. Is that one of them? And I don't know what the other one would be. I know my, one of them. Oh, probably Pet Cemetery. No. The other but one, the other one is, I'd pick is, would be Misery. I like Misery a lot. I like The Shining. Oh, yeah. But Pet Cemetery is, it's in my top three, is the gotcha. third. So I did, I picked, um, I picked those two summaries. I never read The Shining. Really? Yeah, I've only seen the oh, movie. Oh, it's really good. Yeah. It's really good. I know good. there's a lot of differences, right? There's it's a very, lot of differences. Yeah. And it's, but I, I like the movie. Stephen King hates the movie. Yeah. He just I never read all of it either. I only read maybe the first quarter to first half of it. I love Misery, though. Misery's good. So the, his inspiration for The Shining, it's really cool because on his website he has, so check that out if you're interested, if you like Stephen King. Yeah. Go check out your favorite books by him because yeah. he has written. Well, I feel like Misery. I could in, probably figure that one out in his, vo- but <laughs> in his voice, he has yeah. it written. So here's his on The Shining. Um, the, obviously, on The Shining, he it's about the Stanley Hotel, which I'll read. I'll read it to you verbatim. But it's on the Shining Hotel, which or on the Stanley Hotel, which we talked about in our early episodes. Yes. In late September of 1974, Tabby and I spent a night at a grand hotel in Estes Park, the Stanley. We were the only guests, as it turned out, because the following day they were going to close the place down for the winter. 
Wandering through its corridors, I thought that it seemed perfect. Maybe the archetype setting for for archetype. Yeah, sorry, I didn't read this ahead of time. Um, Setting for a ghost story. That night I dreamed of my three-year-old son running through the corridors, looking back over his shoulders, eyes wide and screaming. He was being chased by a fire hose. I woke up with a tremendous jerk, sweating all over within an inch of falling out of bed. I got up, I lit a cigarette, I sat in the chair looking out at the windows windows facing the Rockies, and by the time the cigarette was done, I had the bones of the entire book firmly set in my mind. Man, I've thought about smoking, right? I've never been a smoker. Never. You're but like, maybe I can write if I It seems I like smoke. a cool affectation, though. Maybe I, it seems like it brings a lot of inspiration. You see it in movies, you know, people, they reach a lot of conclusions or have a lot of Maybe you could take up candy cigarettes. Can't, no, those are terrible. It tastes like Pepto-Bismol. Yeah, they really do. Yeah. So my favorite, my favorite, my number one favorite Stephen King book is It. Yeah. And this one has a long, I mean, it's a long book, and then it has a long inspiration. In 1978, my family was living in Boulder, Colorado. One day on our way back from lunch at the Pizza Emporium, how cool is that? (laughs) Our brand new AMC Matador dropped its transmission, literally. The damn thing fell out on Pearl Street. True embarrassment is standing in the middle of a busy downtown street, grinning idiotically while people examine your marooned car at the large greasy black thing and the large greasy black thing laying under it. Hmm. Two days later, later, the dealership called at about five in the afternoon. Everything was Jake and I could pick up the car at any time. The dealership was three miles away. I thought about calling a cab, but decided the walk would be good for me. The AMC dealership was in an industrial park set off set off by itself in a patch of otherwise deserted land a mile from the strip of fast food joints and gas station that marked the eastern edge of Boulder. Man, his his inspirations are written just like his books. Right. So descriptive of everything around it. Like I pictured it. I know exactly where it is. I can get there. (laughs) Right. I'm on my way. I'm pretty sure the AMC dealership is still there. Yeah. A narrow, unlit road led to this outpost. By the time I got to to the road, it was twilight. In the mountains, the time of day comes in a hurry, and I was unaware of how alone I was. Or I was aware, I'm sorry, of how alone I was. About a, a quarter of the mile along the road was a wooden bridge, humped and oddly quaint, spanning a stream. And as I walked across it, I was wearing cowboy boots. Oh, how unfortunate with one rundown heels, and I was very aware of the sound that they were making on the boards. It sounded like a hollow clock. I thought of a fairy tale called Three Billy Boat Goats Gruff, and I wondered what I would do if a troll came out from beneath me, who is tri- tip-trapping on my bridge, and all of a sudden I wanted to write a novel about an actual troll under a bridge. I stopped thinking about the line by Marianne Moore, something about real toads in imaginary gardens only it came out to me as real trolls in imaginary gardens and a good idea is like a yo-yo it comes back to you at the end of a string but it doesn't die there it only sleeps eventually it rolls back up into your palm i forgot about the bridge and the troll and i forgot about the bridge 
and the troll in the business of picking up my car and signing papers. But it came back to me on and off for the next year or two. I decided the bridge could be some sort of symbol. I started thinking of Bangor, where I had lived, and its strange canal and the bisect that bisects the city. The tunnels, the sewer. What a good place for a troll. <laughs> Trolls live in sewers. A year passed. The yo-yo stayed at the center of, of the string. Then at the end, sleeping, it came back up. I started to remember Connecticut, where I had lived for a time. Then the library and the adult section. I decided the corridor was a bridge and one across every type of every type of goat of a child must risk trip trip trapping as an adult. About six months later, I thought of how much of the story needed to be cast and how it must be possible to create a ricochet effect interweaving the stories of the chi the children and the adult they would become. Sometime in the summer of 1981, I realized I had to write about a troll under a bridge and leave him or it forever. Wow. That's fucking intense. <laughs> like, huh? That's pretty involved. Yeah. So that's that's his inspiration for it. All because his car broke down and it took him like three years from the initial inspiration for him to actually do it. Yeah. Wow. So throughout much of the 80s, he struggled with drug and alcohol abuse. In discussing it, he admitted, quote, there's one novel, Cujo, that I barely remember writing at all. And I don't say that with pride or shame, only with a vague sense of sorrow and loss. I like that book. I wish I could remember enjoying the parts as much as I put them down as uh, on the page. Hmm. Yeah. It came to a head when his family members staged an intervention and confronted him with the drug paraphernalia that had collected in his trash can. It was an eye opener and he has been sober ever since. Oh, good for him. Yep. He isn't the only writer in his family, as we already discussed, his wife. Right. writes his oldest son joe is also a writer yes, he, he writes is. under joe hill yes i've heard of him and his youngest child owen has written a collection of short stories and one novella and he's also co-written sleeping beauties he is also owen is also married to a writer naomi their only daughter is a minister and gay activist oh nice so that is everything on Stephen King. He just posted to Instagram last week that he's got his band back together. Oh, I think Dave Barry's Dave Barry's in his band. Yeah. Yeah. So he's he's 71. Got the band back together. Look at them. I used to love reading that Dave Barry article in the Parade magazine every week when yep. I was a kid. I did, too. It's funny. Dave Barry was so hilarious. Yes. And I don't know if it's because I was young and hard up for humor. <laughs> I don't I, I don't think that was it. I think he was a smart guy. And he, but at the same time, he, it was a very innocent family. You know what I mean? He, he, was, he was never a crass or anything. Yeah, because I read it as a child. Yeah, oh, me it, too. It was very. That's what I remember reading it. So yeah, I, I, I liked him a lot. But yeah, I thought I would do Stephen King this week. That you, was nice. You butthead. <laughs> why do Come why at me with how many people, because before we even started recording, he's like, how many people died? Just all of them? Just all. I was like, yeah, I did World War II. Everybody's dead. <laughs> like, fuck Dude, you. I just want to talk about misery real quick, because I read that book in when I was supposed to be, I was, I was a, the male version of a candy striper. I was a chap. 
Yeah, you've talked before about how instead of helping all the sick people, you would just read comic books. Yeah, instead of transporting their pee to the lab or whatever, I was instead in the gift shop reading comics and also Stephen King's Misery at the time. <laughs> and I think, it had, I think it had just become a movie or it was about to. But I, I didn't see oh, the movie. I didn't see the movie oh, two years later. Oh, but sledgehammer. Did, oh, yeah, oh, that's I what I was going to talk I about. Can't, I can't. In the movie, she takes I forget uh, Kathy Bates character's name, Annie or something like that. She takes a sledgehammer and breaks James Conn's foot. Right. And it, she has that cinder block between his legs and she's just like crack. However, I will always remember, like that when I saw that. I was disappointed because that's not what happened in the book. Right. Did you read the book? No. In but I know book, that that's not what happened. She takes a fucking axe and chops off his foot. And the way he, I'll never forget how he describes it. She hits it once. He recoils with his leg and like his his foot's still attached. I can't. And, Ugh. you know, he's like pulling his leg from the his mostly severed <laughs> okay. foot at this point. Okay. And then she brings the axe down again and completely severs his foot. And I understand why they made that decision for the movie. And it totally works. It's not anything that's. It's still horrifying. It's still movie. horrifying. And it's also a lot harder back then, especially to then make James Conn look like an amputee with right. special. I'm sure they didn't have the budget for that kind of stuff anyway. So they, they found a they found a good compromise that was still horrifying. very unsettling. Yeah. But at the same time, I was like, man, in the book, it was I just I always picture yeah, that had, I picture that leg recoiling and that foot just sitting there attached by a thread of skin. I don't want to talk you know? about it. He's had the most of his like he's had the most of his works like out of any author turned into turned, into, turned movies. into movies yeah like more than anyone what's cool too is you, you over time cause some of those movies suck right right and I, and i don't know if that was a choice like i think it's different now they they people who adapt previously written things you know adapt movie or adapt books or comic books or whatever they seem to want the creator's input whereas back then it was more like no like we want to Kubrick get... didn't want anything to do with Stephen King right and a lot of Which people is... he wanted to do his own thing with it but even just I, I think of production studios movie studios in general they want as much creative control because they always know best right they should like Stephen King isn't going to be around forever he's 71 years old yeah Get his fucking input while you can. And that's that's what I was saying, though, is, is nowadays it seems like people actually want the creator's input sometimes directly. They want the, they, they want them to adapt their own screenplay or maybe they maybe that's the deal. But it seems like creators have a lot more leeway now than they did then. Yeah. And they're appreciated a, a lot more now, whereas back then it seemed like the movie was like, well, we, and of course, if somebody wants to adapt, you know, somebody's like, we want to take your first novel and turn it into a movie, right? We want to take Carrie and turn it into a movie. Uh, you're going to let them. Yeah. Here you go. How much? Okay, I'll take it. Right. And back then, you didn't have a lot of adaptations, and you were just happy, whether you liked the movie or not, which Carrie is a great movie, too. Carrie is a good movie. Um, but you, you, you were just happy to get paid again for your work. And right. also, you know, you, you get your name out there even more and everything. So, but, but nowadays... It, it seems like creators are are. Could you imagine they're it? more attached to what they they work on? They don't they're not just interested in just selling it. And I think because of people like Stephen King, who's been a creative powerhouse for so long, the creators have more. Uh, I, can't, I can't think of the word, but they have a little bit more creative control. Right. Could you imagine if you were one of Stephen King's students for like the two years he was a teacher or right. whatever? You were like, yeah, I was one of his students for the two years in the seventies when he was a teacher. Like, that would be that would be so cool. 
right? To just, it's like, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Stephen, I studied under Stephen King. Yeah, he was my high school English teacher. <laughs> 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 like, that'd be so cool. It's like, no, that's... But I, I feel like he is like the old man in Maine from Pet Cemetery. Like, I feel He's like that Gwen. is... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's who he is in the town. Like bad is better. And well, then and then they cast fucking Harry and the Hendersons. What's that guy's name? John Lithgow. John Lithgow. And he, he doesn't even try to do. He doesn't even the try. Accent. He's just like sometimes that is better. <laughs> All right, let's go have Third Rock from the Sun and like like whatever, dude. Like, come on. I, I don't get me let's wrong. Let's go slap a Yeti around. Like I'm excited to see that movie because I loved. I love the original movie. Like, yeah. and I like the book a lot. Yeah. I remember I read the book in seventh grade. I, like, I, was, that I really like that movie, sixth too. Grade? I, don't yeah, know. I, I did read that. I think that was the first Stephen King book I read. I read it pretty it young. Pet, and it scared the shit out of me. I read it pretty young. My um, aunt used to take me to the library because she would take her kids to the library. Yeah. And she has a kid who's three years younger than me. They would be my cousins, <laughs> two or three years younger than me and three years older than me. So she would take the three of us to the library during the summer a lot. Yeah. And I would always get Stephen King books. So that's how I got started with him. And I loved, I loved his, I still do. Yeah. But I have it on, like I've bought it on Kindle. Like I own it on multiple formats. Yeah. Which is I've You're probably like bought. That. <laughs> you yeah, don't do that. That's not I me. I do that. I've, I've bought it many times over my life. That's my favorite by him. Well, I think it's time to wrap up. Crowley's giving us, he's pulling us off here. <laughs> Crowley's, Crowley's telling us he's done. Yeah. He's done sitting still. So he wants attention. So thanks for we're listening. We're all done. Bye. Bye. <laughs>